0: Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. In the previous
1: program, I was talking about Galatians chapter 5, verses 14 through 18, and I'd like to revisit a couple of things before I proceed. In Galatians chapter 5, verse 14, it says, For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And I was explaining in the previous program that the objective of the Christian life is definitely not to try to figure out how to get people to love others as themselves, because there are a lot of people, most people, live a way of life that is extremely self-destructive. And because of this self-destructive way of life, loving others as they love themselves will also lead to more destruction. This is not going to be a good solution model, but that instead we are to love others with the love that God has for us, not with what we have for ourselves. And that there is a significant difference between the way that we love ourselves and the way that our God loves us, a significant difference between the two. And this has to be understood and acknowledged. Now, in this program, what I would like to do is spend a little time talking about the needs that we have, the desires that we have. Now, the needs and desires that we have can be divided into two groups, as he divided them in verse 16 and 17. In Galatians chapter 5, verse 16, he says, I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. Now, this describes two different categories, or two different classifications of desires that a person might have. One desire is described as the desires of the flesh, And the other desire is described as the desires of the spirit. Now, what I'm going to say is that the desires are actually the same. It's just the way that we express our desires or the way that we try to have our desires fulfilled are different. That's where the differences come from. The desires that we have are truly simple. We desire to be loved. We desire to be accepted. We desire to have meaning and understanding about the world that we are a part of. We desire to have purpose in our life. We desire safety and security, respect, honor. These are things that we desire. And I believe that our God created us to have these desires, that these desires are inherent within our design that he created us to have these, and there is nothing evil about having these desires. I will also say that these desires or these needs are needs of our spirit. These are spiritual needs that we as people have uniquely been given. The animals don't have these needs. The plants and trees don't have these needs. Just us. That's a distinction that separates us from the rest of his creation. Now, the way that we go about living our lives having these needs met is where the distinctions come from. If we turn to the world, believing that we will be loved when we engage with the world, then we will sin. It is then that we will commit sin and we will call that an act of the flesh. We will then call that a desire of the flesh. What is the desire? Is the desire that we want to be loved? Well, that certainly is the root issue. But when we say that the desire is to have our need met by this sinful act, that is when it becomes a desire of the flesh. The desire of the flesh is that we seek fulfillment. Again, the desire of the flesh is that we seek fulfillment for the spiritual needs that are a part of who we are, we seek for fulfillment of the spiritual needs that define who we are outside of our relationship with our God. So when we seek to be loved in some other way besides being loved by our God, we are living in sin. We are living according to our flesh not according to our spirit. So the desire is to be loved. But the way that we try to achieve fulfillment for that desire is what leads us to commit a sin that we describe as the desire of the flesh. That is our struggle. Our struggle is a struggle of being loved by our God or believing that we're going to be loved by the world. It is a struggle of being accepted by our God, or believing that we are going to be accepted in the world. That is the true nature of the struggle that we are in. We will do those things that we do not want to do, not according to our spirit. We will do those things when we fail to believe that God loves us. So you are either going to be led by the spirit or you are going to be led by the flesh. You are either going to have your desires met by the spirit of God or you are not going to have your desires met by the spirit of God. You're going to try to get your desires met somewhere else in some other way, some way outside of your relationship with your God. And that is what we define as sin. Now, the law the law tells you that God does not love you. The law tells you that God does not accept you. The law tells you that you are not fulfilling your purpose. It tells you that you have no understanding with regards to who your God is or what he is doing. The law drives you into sin because it takes you away from the love of God because you cannot obey it. So that is where the law fits in to this issue concerning walking by the Spirit or walking in the flesh. Walking in the flesh is not just about walking with the absence of the law or walking without any recognition of the true and living God. Walking in the flesh can also be walking with an acknowledgement of the true and living God, an acknowledgement of the law, maybe even walking according to the law, but it's still walking according to the flesh because you are not being loved by your God or accepted by your God in the way that he loves you, in the way that he accepts you, and so you will by default engage in sin. So, walking in the flesh is not the opposite of walking according to the law. It's not the opposite. You see, people are still operating under this premise that you either walk according to the restraint of the flesh or the indulgence of the flesh. But I'm telling you, what I'm telling you is that walking according to the restraint of the flesh is no different than walking according to the indulgence of the flesh Because when you walk according to the restraint of the flesh, you're still not being loved by your God. You're still not having the desires of your spirit met by your God. Whether you walk according to the restraint or the indulgence, you are still turning away from the true and living God and you are turning away from what he has to offer you, which is what you truly need. The law never provided any opportunity for you to be loved by your God. It never provided you with any opportunity to be accepted by your God. You will never obey it to the expectation that it describes. But even if you do, what will you achieve? You will achieve more flour in your kneading bowl. That's what you're going to get. The law tells you exactly what you get. And it has nothing to say about you will be loved by your God. That is why it is easy for me to say that walking by the law is not the same as walking in the Spirit. If you walk in the law, you will eventually fulfill the desires of the flesh. So on that basis, I'm going to begin in Galatians chapter 5, verse 16, where he says, "...I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh." If you don't walk according to the Spirit, you will fulfill the lust of the flesh. Even though you try not to, you eventually will, because the needs deep inside will eventually overcome, overcome you in such a way that you will end up fulfilling the lust of the flesh. In verse 17, for the flesh lusts against the Spirit and the Spirit against the flesh. He's describing the competition between the flesh and the spirit in the sense of who is going to meet the desire, who is going to meet the need. That's the competition. Now, if you will only believe the truth that there is no way that this world or anyone or anything in this world will ever meet the deepest needs of your heart, if you will believe that, then you will not be a victim to the deception that is in the world that suggests that you will have your needs met in the flesh. These are contrary to one another so that you do not do the things that you wish. You do not do what you truly want to do according to the Spirit, and you never get your desires met in the way that you expect to when you live according to the flesh. Now, in verse 18, he says, But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now, why does he say that? Why does he put that in there? Well, first of all, you can easily recognize by looking at this, that if you are under the law, you are not being led by the Spirit. Now, this puts him in a very, very distinctive situation between himself and the people who were coming from Jerusalem. A very, very distinctive situation, because when he says this, he is telling the Galatians that the people who are coming out of Jerusalem are not being led by the Spirit. They are not being led by the Spirit. Now, he has made several declarations besides this. In verse 11, he calls these people persecutors, violent. In verse 12, he speaks of these people as if they are foreskins that need to be cut off and disposed of. In verse 13, he speaks of these people who do not serve anyone, And they live in sin. In verse 14, he speaks of these people who live to be served by others. They don't love their neighbors as themselves. They live expecting their neighbors to love them as their neighbors love themselves. In verse 15, he speaks of these people as individuals who will bite and devour one another. In verse 16, he says that these people do not walk in the Spirit They fulfill the lusts of their flesh through blessings that they try to obtain from God that are described in the law and through their secret lives of sin that they have got to have in order to find some way to cope with the pressure that they're going to live under according to the law. And in verse 17, he says that these people, they do what they wish because to them There is no real struggle, because they don't know the difference between walking in the Spirit and walking in the flesh, so they do what they wish, whether it is according to the restraint or the indulgence of the flesh, and either one of those are still separated from the relationship that our God has called us to according to the New Covenant. And then in verse 18, he makes it very clear that they definitely do not walk in the Spirit, and they are not led by the Spirit. So, do you suppose that the Apostle Paul is going to get any future invitations to any speaking engagements before the council in Jerusalem ever again, like he got to experience in Acts chapter 15? Do you think he is ever going to have an opportunity to speak before any of these people ever that they are ever going to give him an opportunity to have some speaking engagement of any kind, to declare to anyone what he believes? Do you think that they're ever going to have anything to do with him again if they ever read this letter? I would be surprised to discover that the apostles, the elders, that anyone who comes out of Jerusalem declaring that they were discipled by those people, I wouldn't expect them to ever want to have anything to do with the Apostle Paul ever, ever again, considering everything that he has had to say. That is the kind of conviction that God is looking for. And so if you find yourself in a situation where the Spirit of God is moving you in such a way that you would have such conviction and actually act on it, do not resist the Holy Spirit and allow Him to work within and through you in the same way that he worked through the Apostle Paul and others who are willing to stand for the truth of the living God. Do not, do not be afraid. Now remember that the law stirs up sin. Any law, it doesn't have to be the law of Moses, any way of life that is devoted to repentance, obedience, trying to get the flesh under control, anything that looks anything like that at all, anything that gives the indication that God will hold anything against you at all, Is a way of life that will stir up sin. And there are four fundamental ways that this will be achieved. First, through the natural rebellion of humanity that will always exist within people. Second, by giving you new things to think about doing that you never would have thought about not doing before that now you're going to think about doing and you're going to eventually desire to do those kinds of things. Paul talked about this in his letter to the Romans. Through religious pride, you will experience an increase in sin. If you feel you have found some way to get your flesh under control, now you've got religious pride, you have deceived yourself into believing that you don't sin anymore, and this is going to be manifested in a number of very ugly, sinful ways through the pride that is going to be manifested within and through you towards others. But the worst way, the worst way that sin is created, this is terrible, is through separation from the love of God. The law separates you from God. It separate. It doesn't join you to God. It separates you from the true God. It joins you to a God, yeah, but not the one that you really want. It joins you to the God who proclaims, who preaches that we are to know and live according to the knowledge of good and evil. You know who that one is, right? That's the same one who spoke to Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, before the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That's the God that people are drawing near to. No, this separates you from the true God, from the love of God, because of your failure, because of your sin, because you cannot achieve perfection to be as perfect as God. So the law stirs up sin in these ways and others, if you understand that the law stirs up sin, then you can understand the following verses, beginning in verse 19. He says, now the works of the flesh are evident, which are, and he goes through this list, the works of the flesh are evident, and then he begins to list a bunch of sins. He could also write this as the works of the law. Now, people will recognize quickly, People will under, you will understand quickly what I mean when I say that when a person lives for the indulgence of the flesh, these are some descriptions of how a person would live for the indulgence of the flesh. But I'm telling you that this is also a list that describes those people who live for the restraint of the flesh as well as those who live for the indulgence of the flesh. It's also for those who live according to the restraint of the flesh. Because those who live for the restraint of the flesh are those who are living according to the law, and the law stirs up sin. And that's what these things are. They are sins. It's just that these sins are manifested indirectly rather than directly. But they still occur. They still happen. So verse 19 could also be read, not only from the point of view of the indulgence of the flesh, but also from the point of view of the restraint of the flesh to say, now the works of the law are evident. The works of the law are evident. What are the works of the law? I mean, what are they really? Somebody says, "Will I live according to the works of the law. All right. What are those? What are those? What are the works of the law? What what do you think is impressive? Well, I go to church. Is that a work of the law? That's supposedly an impressive work of the law, right? Well, anybody can go to church. Lots of people go to church. Lots of people who don't even believe in God go to church. What is that? You can pay the staff with tithes. That's a work of the law. Well, what's that? Anybody can do that. You don't have to believe in Jesus to do that. You volunteer in the church. That's a work of the law. Well, you can you can do that. Anybody can do that. You don't have to believe that there's a God to do that. You can learn how to evangelize people. Well, anybody can do that. Any good salesman can go out and sell Jesus. They don't even have to believe in Jesus to do that. You understand? What are the works of the law? The works of the law have nothing to do with the works of the Spirit. They are all associated with the works of the flesh. It's just that they are associated with the works of the restraint rather than the indulgence. But the bottom line will still be the same, and that is sin. And how will that be manifested? That will be manifested indirectly through the restraint of the flesh because you are still trying to obtain the acceptance of God outside of the Lord Jesus and outside of his forgiveness and grace. You are still searching for the love of God outside of the love that he has offered through the Messiah, through his forgiveness of sins. You are seeking love and acceptance in the law as opposed to love and acceptance in the world. But it's still the same result it will still lead to the same conclusion and that is that your god will be disgusted with you he will reject you you will be under an enormous amount of pressure and you will need some escape from the reality of your situation you will need some escape you know something like adultery fornication Yes, there are people who claim that they are devoted to God, and they do pretty well. You know, if you look at their lives, they live a life of obedience, repentance to a certain extent, but then all of a sudden, you find out that they have been committing adultery and fornication or whatever. Why would you be so surprised? Why is this such a surprise? If this is a person who does not believe in the complete forgiveness of sins, If this is a person who does not believe that they have been set free from the law, well, then they're going to need some adultery. They're going to need some fornication in their life in order to get a break from all the pressure that they're going to be under because of how much God is disgusted with them already. Why would this be so much of a surprise? I'm telling you this in order to explain to you that trying to restrain your flesh isn't going to work. It's going to stir up more sin. Look, you either believe that the law stirs up sin, or you don't. But even if you don't, it still will. It doesn't matter. If you recognize that the law stirs up sin, then why would it be so much of a surprise to read verses 19 through 21? Why would it be so much of a surprise to read through those and see that those are things that you should expect to see? From someone who is living a life devoted to the works of the law, why would it be so much of a surprise? Verse 19. "Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery that these are things that get manifested within people regardless of whether they're trying to restrain the flesh or indulge their flesh. Regardless, these are things that occur because the only way you can say no to adultery is if you are being loved by your God. The only way that you can say no to fornication, say no to sorcery, to say no to contentions and jealousies and Outbursts of wrath and selfish ambitions is to be loved by your God. You're not going to be able to go before someone and incentivize them to keep from doing these things with either the blessings or the beatings. You're not going to be able to succeed with that. People try it all the time. There's plenty of evidence to show that it's never going to happen. But meet the deepest needs of a person's heart and you will see, you will see That a person can say no to these things because they are at peace with their God, because they are at rest. Now, I did some very important programs on this subject titled Overcoming Sin, and I would definitely like to encourage you to listen to those programs because that's where I get into the subject in depth. In this program... I'm going to stay focused on the letter to the Galatians and just simply say that according to verse 19, with regards to the works of the flesh, that these are the works of the law. They are the same works, whether you do them out of the indulgence of the flesh or the restraint of the flesh, it's still the same. I want you to see that. It's very important to see that. Because if you can see that, if you can understand that, then you can appreciate verse 22 in a new way where he says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. And he goes on and he provides a description with regards to what the fruit of the Spirit is. Now, this is not a description of what we are to do as an alternative to what is described between verses 19 and 21 with regards to the works of the flesh. This is not an alternative to say that instead of doing those works, do these. No, this is a description of what the Spirit of God gives you. This is the fruit that he gives you, not what you would have given through the world through either the indulgence or the restraint of the flesh. That is described in the previous verses. Now, this is a description of walking in the spirit according to what he gives. This is the fruit of the spirit. It is not the fruit of you. And I will explain this more in the next broadcast.